Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Philcraft Survival Podcast. I'm your host, Mike G, and today co-hosting Raul Martinez. Raul. Whoa. You like that? You nailed that one. I just flowed that, man. I didn't even try. (laughs) Yes, it's when you try that you you butcher my name. Raul Martinez. That's all I got. I don't know how to do that. It's like an Asian twist on a Hispanic name. I know. It's Mexican, Asian, American. It's that fusion, baby. It is. So where you been? You've been uh, on the road lately, huh? Yeah, so... Cali back and forth a few times. Um, good times, man. Series was was a blast. It was huge course uh, or huge class. We had I think twenty four people on day one and like eighteen the next day, and then down in Paris near Temecula near Riverside, uh, I think we had fifteen and fifteen ish on the line, and that was a cool range. We've not been there before, and it was nice to make contacts there. Uh, the buzz is already growing. I have people DMing me about the November 9th and 10th class, which I just randomly threw out there because uh, those are the dates we're trying to get set, which I think they are set. So, yeah, everybody's hitting me up, and they're like, hey, is that for sure? When can we sign up? Uh, so now the pressure's on poor George to <laughs> to work the, the website. But uh, it'll be up, and, uh, yeah, the buzz in Cali's good. I think we're going to do good things there, continuing to push into the north and into the south. I know we solidified series with, with you and, and the team, so – yeah. Yeah, it's exciting to see that, you know, I, I could be off the road and, you know, Phil Craft as a brand grows with subject matter experts in the field of expertise. You know, I've, I figure 10 years from now when me and you are irrelevant in tactics, mm-hmm. we're just managing the process and new guys are coming in and getting on the road. I mean, that's how it should flow at least. Um, so you you went to Ceres and then you went to Paris. Am I saying that right? Paris? Paris. Paris, uh, Cali. And we had this, uh, was it Gilroy, California, this mass shooting, which I don't think technically, I thought mass shootings were four or more. It just depends. But a lot of people obviously associate mass shootings or active shootings with public shootings, which obviously this one was at a food festival. And this dude used an SKS and kind of used a side entrance. I did a podcast, or not a podcast, but a YouTube video on it, on Phil Kraft's channel talking about it. But um, one of the things, and I wanted to get your perspective on this, one of the things that was said by the venue, they're like, hey, you know, we did everything we could for security because we had a checkpoint and we were checking people's bags. And so we were prepared to make sure that we were protecting the population. Well, this dude just bypassed that, used uh, bolt cutters to uh, cut through the fence line, breached the fence line with an SKS, and then just started shooting people. Luckily, the cops put them down before... I think it was in in the first minute of this dude's uh, engaging civilians, they put him down. Imagine if he had an additional minute to to wreak uh, havoc and carnage, or an additional person, or an additional person. Man. And I know two different locations. Yeah, initially they said there might have been a second shooter. Um, as of today, the the motive hasn't come out yet, and they're trying to figure that out. But he came from an affluent family. What's your what's your perspective on on that security measure and all the things that's been going on with that? So just thinking about how we did the the festivals in Chicago and they had roving patrol guards on like quads and they would just drive up and down the fence lines. Most of the fence lines were 
covered so you can see through with mesh. Yeah. So you don't know what's happening behind the, the, the fence, mm. which is can be good or bad, right? Yeah. Um, could be good in the sense that you can't see in there, so you don't know where security is. Mm-hmm. You don't know who, what people are in that area. Mm-hmm. And it could be bad because they can't see you breaching. <laughs> yeah. So you have either a perimeter guard on both ends, which Chicago does that. Um, but they, they're used to festivals. And I'm not too familiar with how much how many times that festival in Cali goes on. But in Chicago, they're used to like Lollapalooza and... Um, uh, all the festivals that happen in Grand Park. So Which are tens of thousands yeah, of people. And they've gotten it down. Um, so perimeter sweeps would be one of those things. Um, and when they, the, their excuse, oh, so we, we covered it with bag checks and we were checking individuals coming through. Yeah, we get it, but they should know by now that people aren't going to go through that route. You know what I mean? That's why this dude breached the fence. It was easier than trying to sneak something in sneak something in a bag or sneak something in on their person. So why not just breach a fence? How easy is that? And it made it simple for him, which gave him the advantage of surprise even because he was already inside when I'm sure they were heavy um, security at the open points, the points of entry. Yeah, I just think, you know, I have this this thing with, with good people, with good intentions kind of going the wrong path. And, you know, California is known for, obviously, it's gun mm-hmm. control and it's knee-jerk reactions to things that happen that don't necessarily benefit um, the populations that they govern. So they have this policy where they check bags, check whatever. And to me, that only – it's like the sticker on a window of a restaurant establishment that says no guns allowed. Well, you're telling every criminal that's going into that venue that nobody potentially in that venue is armed mm-hmm. because – law-abiding citizens typically follow the law. Right. So if they see a sign that says no guns, they're not going to carry a gun inside. But criminals, terrorists, violent actors and offenders don't do that. So when I, I would think from a bad guy's perspective, you know, being in a, mil, a military guy, and you know this, we, we've had to pretend we're good bad guys in order to counter these tactics and these procedures. So we know how to be creative. And so if I'm a bad guy... And I go to a venue that I know is choke pointing and then checking bags. I can probably reliably go into that venue knowing that nobody's going to hurt me, that nobody's going to counter my attack. So they go in there with confidence and and they start wreaking havoc. And in this case, he probably didn't know that there were law enforcement officers on duty that were inside the venue because I, I I I'd assume that he would probably. Uh, try to engage those guys first. I mean, they had pistols. He had a rifle. He just starts shooting randomly. You know, he hits a six-year-old, kills a six-year-old, a 12-year-old, and some kid in his 20s, all children, and then the cops kill him. I, I, I just I don't get this idea that restriction or regulation is necessarily beneficial for people who are law-abiding. This doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't, and it's one of those things where it's like the, the quick fix to everything, right? Try to... Try to make everybody um, uh, play their part, in a sense, by taking things away. Yep, That's yep. just not how it works. Here, here's the reality of the world, and, and what I saw in law enforcement a lot was there's this like sense of there's these good guys, and then there's these bad guys, right? Mm-hmm. And they're both in two separate realms. But the reality is we need to live <laughs> in this gray area, man. Yeah. Um, I see those signs, and I'm like, yeah, it's probably not a good idea. But it's also not a good idea to die or be a victim. So I'm not openly saying that that those signs are just a reminder to do something. But to me, that's what they are. It's like, oh, cool. They have those signs. Or it's a a window decal. 
to me more than it is a warning. Yeah. Um, but I live a different lifestyle. I, I, I don't plan on being a victim and, and the guys that I surround myself don't plan on being victims. So yeah. And, that, and that's kind of the mindset that we were always pushing, right? Mm-hmm. Is, you know, I, I don't ever want to advocate for telling people to break the laws in the, in the worlds they live because laws make sense for the most part in most places, but there are regulations and over-regulation. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's funny, like I always talk about the banning of assault rifles, for example. And I, I have read a couple articles, but I haven't talked about it in depth because I'm waiting for the big politicians to come out of it. Um, right now, the Democratic debates are going down. Right now, uh, there is talk after this about gun control and using this shooting as an uh, you know as a uh, input for advocacy for gun control. And this guy used an SKS. It's seven six two by thirty nine millimeter, same round as AK forty seven, just modified. And this would be looked at by most people as an assault weapon, even though it was legally bought in Nevada. You know, it's got a weird uh, lip uh, attachment to the magazine, which means you have to, like, insert it oddly and then push it up. It's actually my first, one of my first rifles when I was 12 years old. My mom bought me an SKS. Of course. A Chinese SKS. (laughs) The only thing missing was probably tire sandal flip-flops. But (laughs) I had a Chinese SKS that she bought for me for uh, $89.99 at Jim's Pawn Shop in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And it came in a crate, literally with hay, like the hay stuff. (laughs) And it had grease on it and everything, packing grease on it. And I went to Rose's. I remember as a kid, Rose's was like the Walmart back in the day in the South. Hmm. I went to Rose's and as a 12-year-old, bought two 30-round magazines for my SKS. (laughs) I electrically taped them um, uh, inverted. So I had one magazine in the gun and then the other one was reversed. Under my bed as a 12-year-old. Nice. My mom didn't know too much about guns, but she's like, oh, it's a rifle. My son's uh, a smart. He's yeah. a boy. He's, oh. He shoots with his friends, and he has this gun. In fact, what's really crazy is as a 12-year-old, my stepfather was there, so this is can be validated. I pulled that gun on guys, on kids, mm-hmm. trying to break into my house as a young, as a 12-year-old. Nice. So my mom had a beauty salon that was the garage, and these kids had jumped one of my friends, and my friend ran to my house at night, knocked on my door, and I let him in. They had just jumped him. These kids followed him across a field and then saw that he went into this house, and they pulled up in a truck and jumped out, and they were literally breaking the windows and glass trying to get into my mom's salon. Damn. And I turned on the light, and I pulled my this SKS on these kids, and like I, I knew something was wrong. My stepdad didn't was going didn't know what was going on. I grabbed that gun and I ran. I saw them trying to beat in the door. And so I pulled that gun on them because, you know, I didn't even know the laws at the time, but I knew that the house that I was in was my domicile. And if they would try to break into it, I could defend myself. Yeah, I knew that much. For sure. And so I pulled it on them. And I remember a kid, one of the kids, he, because it was dark where I was at, even though the lights were on in the front part of the uh, room, they couldn't see me. And from the outside with a tempered glass. But then as soon as they uh, peeked in through the laminate, they saw me with the gun. And then he told his buddies, and they all ran and hauled ass. Sweet. Uh, and called the cops and everything. It was a big, big ordeal. But that was like my for- first reflection of like an SKS integrated into my life. And it's a semi-automatic rifle. It's just a rifle. It's a hunting rifle. Yep. Um, 
used by the Vietnamese in, in Vietnam. Well, that yeah. story reminds me of a of a cool story, and uh, uh, I just leave his name out of it. But he's a really cool friend in Chicago. He's he's doing law dog work now. Uh, but we were kids, man, running around that city. Uh, I remember we had to go and get rid of some stuff that we had in uh, in an attic. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it was a rough time growing up in Chicago. You know, you did some some crazy shit. And this is where I oh, talk yeah. a lot about the gray area, right? And then uh, what's funny is then I became a cop. But uh, we're in this, like, dingy old house where it's like a drop house. You leave things, you hide things, you put things in random walls, and then you yeah. come and get them later. Abandoned house, yeah. right? Yeah. So <laughs> I still remember that dampness, like that smell in those damp homes. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, that. It's I don't know, it's like a nice smell in a way now that yeah. you, you have those memories. And we're in there, we, we go and we get a taped grip, double barrel shotgun out of this fucking closet, like wow. the rooftop of the closet, and yep. a pistol. And then we had to go to an undisclosed location on lake michigan and pitch these things it was kind of like the graveyard for dirty guns yeah yeah and i was just thinking of your story and i was like man those guns had issues to the point where like we'd be in jail forever yeah yeah um but that was the lifestyle then so there's there's always going to be guns there's always going to be these things that are in the world yeah and it's all just dependent on how they're used so we got rid of them because we didn't want them in the neighborhood yeah um they were just bad um but it's like a good and bad story. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Well, I think I think the problem is when we look at the firearms in our society, we always tend to demonize them. And then it's like it's very uh, identifiable of our culture, especially in California, for people to go, oh, guns are bad because politicians say guns are bad. And so you have a politician stand up and hold an AR-15. He won't even hold it properly. But to tell you all the things that this thing's capable of doing – and why they're bad. And I'm like, I could pick up a, a hunting rifle and tell you how it's 10 times worse than that AR-15. Mm-hmm. And, and that it's capable out to 1,000 yards. Yeah, that reach. I could shoot a human being where they, couldn't even, they won't even see me. They'll get shot and they'll die before they hear a gunshot. Mm. Um, because of the time of flight and the sound of speed. And it's like, people don't think about those things because they want somebody to educate them. And if the politician is the one educating them, uh, that's for me a, a bad precedent, especially for somebody who doesn't know what the hell they're talking about. Yeah. And then think about who's doing the educating, like you said, and that's a great point, man. Is these dudes in suits who are in political office trying to educate the public on something like firearms, right? Or yeah. tell them how de- demonize these things. Here's the thing: they demonize the firearm because you can't demonize the person. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. what are we? Yeah, we're all people. So yeah. if I start saying this guy is like this and this dude's like that, yeah. at the end of the day, you look in the mirror, you look like him. You have two eyes, you have a nose, you have a mouth. Yeah. You talk, you eat food, you go to the bathroom. We live like other humans. Yeah. So to demonize the human is harder to do because then you're kind of looking in the mirror versus 100%. demonizing the equipment. This yeah. is evil. This is bad. Let's take that away. Why don't we just educate people, make people better and smarter? I know, man. I, I was Kevin was here, and we were talking about. Uh, veteran affairs and the disability process and everything. Oof. And I'm hope I'm, uh, you know, fingers crossed, I find out tomorrow if I'm 100%, there, there might be an opportunity there nice. where I might be going from 90 to 100. But for um, going to 100%, for example, if I'm 100% and the government says, hey, everybody who's 100%, like I have, I have diagnosed PTSD from TBI, mm-hmm. meaning they basically say, hey, you don't have symptoms like of somebody who has PTS, but you have uh, things that we've seen associated with people with who have TBI. Like 
anxiety and depression might be directly af- associated with the fact that your head's been rocked. Yeah, brain trauma. Brain trauma, sure. yeah. which is prevalent in professional athletes. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the industry, boxers, MMA, it goes on and on. So we talked about it and was like, hey, what if the government, because it's federally regulated, what if the government said, hey, if you're 100% disabled and you have TBI or PTSD in your medical records at all, we're going to take away your guns because, you know, they, they even say right now, like a big problem in the, in the, the process for applying for a gun is there's no, it's not black and white when it comes to, um, why you can, or how you can get a gun and why you can get a gun or what, what you can't do as somebody who's, uh, been in a psychiatric ward, for example, or has a, a history of mental health issues. What does that mean? Like if you're a guy and you suffer from depression and anxiety and a doctor says you're a harm to yourself, where's the line drawn for the law where I could say, hey, you can't have a firearm? And I know there's some regulation, right? There's some... There, there is. And so there's different types of criminals, right? And so just let's establish what makes criminals, all right? Laws make criminals, right? If there mm-hmm. were no laws, there would be no criminals. Yeah, yeah. So when you were talking earlier about stacking laws and adding things to the law... Uh, we're just making it easier to make more criminals, even though these people aren't criminals. And I know we touched on it before in another mm-hmm. podcast, but it, it isn't that <laughs> more laws, more criminals, man. It's that simple. So the, the more laws we add or the more things we take away and then people still have them, yeah. well, now they're at fault for something that we just passed a new law. So guess what? You're a new criminal that they weren't criminals yesterday, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but th- that's a scary one with, with the me- uh, mental health because there can be doctors or even people that can – um, that have the power of attorney to put you into, to like a, one of those uh, hospitals, right? Where yeah. you're like, you're essentially, you're a prisoner now. Yeah. And then it's a psych ward. So nobody believes you. So it's like this weird, um, yeah. this weird issue. Uh, and when I was with the sheriff's office here, it was like that there was this, this doctor who they would have outpatients. They would live out in the community. And then if the doctor deemed it time, you'd go get them and take them back to the hospital. Yeah. And that's crazy. Like, when's the last time you saw the doctor? How can he diagnose you from, like, over the phone and decide that you, we need to take your freedom? Yeah. Um, and that that's more applying to freedom than the firearms thing. But it's just, it's scary how they want to make it that easy yeah. to take freedoms away from people in general. Yeah. Right? Um, so, yeah, uh, I think there needs to be, there's going to have to be more data before it's accepted as far as how um, mental health as far as, like, TBI or um, PTSD can change the the ownership process of guns. I don't think there's enough data to say, yep, you have PTSD, you're going to hurt somebody, let's take your shit away. Uh, until that's a thing, I don't think they're going to be taking things away. They might limit it, um, but there's ways around it. So if you're a, a new veteran going through the process, um, maybe avoid PTSD and talk to them about uh, social anxiety issues, where it's not this, I freak out when I hear loud noises and fireworks. It's more, I'm anxious around groups because of this. Um, so there's better ways to articulate what's wrong with you than just blanketing it over with the PTSD, which a lot of dudes do it because one, they're scared or it's easy. Yeah. Um, and they don't have to explain themselves, which yeah. again, goes back to just be smart enough, use the right words, words matter. Um, saying PTSD versus saying social anxiety is different, um, but it's pretty much the same thing. Yeah. And that's what's scary is that it's all open to interpretation. Exactly. So if a doctor's like, yeah, you're telling me you have anxiety because it sucks for you being a civilian now versus being in the military. I'm gonna, I'm gonna label that PTSD. You know, and I've had doctors. I've actually had a lot of friends um, 
tell me before seeing a doctor, like, hey, don't tell them this because you tell them this, you're going to lose your guns. Mm-hmm. And and there's actually a lot of uh, disinformation out there where we think we know the solution. It's like they're telling us, hey, don't say anything. So I can't imagine how many people actually do suffer, but they don't want to say anything because they don't want to lose their guns or the right to own guns. Um, I, I've heard in Arizona, for example, um, if you get a, um, a a marijuana medicinal marijuana card in the state of Arizona, you can't have a concealed carry permit. And then it pops up that if you have one of those, then it might be biased if a law enforcement officer pulls you over and then you have that showing up on your identification, then they could, you know, they're like, how, how much weed do you have on you? And then it leads down this rabbit hole. Yeah. All for nothing. Criminalizing somebody who, it's like the same people who are abusing opiates, for example, who are prescribed, they're good. But a guy who's trying to smoke weed, you know, uh, indica before he goes to bed because that's the same thing for him than Ambien. Right. It's like, what's the balance there, man? It seems like it's all out of whack. It is. It is all, all out of whack in the sense that, well, here's the thing. Uh, one is governed by the FDA, right? The the whole um, pharmaceutical industry. And that's just another topic. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But yeah. So there's that. And then there's the natural stuff that just isn't federally regulated yet. Yeah, yeah. And that's the separation right there. So yeah. it's, one's working within the government structure already and the other one isn't. So... And then, so back to the AZ, um, having a, a medical marijuana card and having a, a concealed carry permit, you can have them, I'm pretty sure, together, but you can't have the two items together with you. So if, oh. you, if, you, have, if you have cannabis, you that can have sense. cannabis, but not the gun, because yeah. having them together is now a felony, um, and that's what you don't Ooh. want, um, but you can have them separately. So your medical marijuana stays at home all the time because you don't need it when you're da- yeah. doing your daily activities because it's your nighttime medicine. Then you carry your gun during the day yeah. and you leave your shit at home. That and makes more sense. Yeah. That's that's reasonable. Yeah. And in isolation, it's okay. But then it's when you start blending them, which is trickier because your point was even better to say that this dude can carry his Ambien and take it while he's driving, take it while he's at mm-hmm. work, and carry his pistol and nobody says anything. Yeah, completely legal. Because it's pharmaceutical. Yeah. You know? Um but I feel like it's more. Well, I've seen it. I've seen it on both ends. But I've I've seen more responsible cannabis users uh, than I have seen um, the abuse of pharmaceuticals. So yeah, yeah. It's just a. It's a. I guess it's a, a really complex topic. But it's. Yeah. It just seems like if they federally regulated or federally decriminalized marijuana, for example, how much good would that do the country versus bad? Yeah. A lot of people think the. There's half of the America who thinks the country will fall apart. I'm in the other half of the, the country that thinks it'd, it'd probably be beneficial. Yeah. So we could focus on pedophiles and violent offenders and criminals and you know rapists as opposed to focusing on petty criminals or criminalization of people who otherwise would just be potheads. Yeah, and that goes back to the thing earlier. We're, we're demonizing people because of items, right? Um, but not to the extent that it should be. So it's it's back again. We don't want to look in the mirror and face the pedophiles and all those things, right? It's easier to just focus on uh, items, uh, inanimate objects like cannabis and guns and things like that. So Yeah. Um, so there's a couple of things. One, I want to talk about the questions. I want to answer people's questions. Awesome. And there's, here, there's some here for me, and there's a lot for you as well. And then I want to ask you about the fight stuff cool. um, before we get off because yeah. – 
I'm super motivated about the fight that you're going to be in uh, on August 9th, yep. um, which is going to be epic, but we'll talk about it in a second. Cool. So going through the questions, and if I get to a question and it's kind of like jacked up and I don't realize it till halfway through, we'll just skip over it. But I get some of those. Yeah. People slide into the DMs. Yep. Um, so one of the questions, what's the future of SF if we transition to a major uh, against an actual, a major conflict against an actual army? Uh, the future of SF if we transition to a major conflict against an actual army. Well, that, you know, I, I think about Iran when you ask that question because obviously Iran's been back and forth and been super motivated, it seems, to get into a conflict with us. They, you know, shot down a drone. They um, wrap, wrapped up a couple, a couple of oil tankers. And they've done this with throughout history. But I imagine if we're in a conflict or a war with a major military might, I would call it the Chinese, I would call it Iran, North Korea. They all have large-scale militaries. That SF or Special Forces would not change their overall mission and objective. I mean, strategically, there's a whole bunch of things that we do during invasions that we've proved in Afghanistan and Iraq that leads us to another phase of the operation and sustained combat operations. So I don't think it actually changes anything. So hopefully that, that answers your question. This one is um, more the long of the lines uh, of you because you're Mexican. Hmm. Uh, how to eradicate cartels uh, or invade Mexico? Let's talk about eradication of cartels. How do you do that here in the U.S.? No, oh, man, there's no eradicating. Um, it's a business. Uh, it's like eradicating the pharmaceutical industries. I mean, they're all making money off of somebody's need or desire for something. So, uh yeah, they're super separated from that thug street dealer. You yeah. know what I mean? Like they're like five ways apart. Yeah. You know, it's five elements or you know ways of separation from right. them. Yeah, and not only that. And so here's the thing: people are are funny. Um, people are very emotional, right? They they respond emotionally to things. They act emotionally towards things, uh, and they want to solve a problem that they know can't be solved because that's what we do, right? Uh, we want to solve problems. That's what what humans are. We're problem solvers. Um, and an issue like the cartel, uh, <laughs> until we can fix the pedophiles who pay for child sex slave rings, uh, until we can separate the use of recreational drugs for those types of issues, so you can link like cocaine um, to those types of sex rings, to the kid rings, to this other, all this other shit. Human so trafficking, um, fucking yeah, everything, right? All of that's connected somehow um, more than, than people uh, think it is. Everybody thinks, oh, it's just the cocaine industry, or oh, it's just the sex trafficking industry, or just the human trafficking industry, or just the heroin. All that shit's linked, but it's in the underbellies of your city and where you live. So finding ways to work with local law enforcement to eradicate dope houses and things like that. That's like the first step that the average person can do. Infrastructure, um, right? Yeah. yeah. Working working with the community. But there's this loss of connection between law enforcement and the, and the public. And it's it's on both ends. It's both the public's fault and the agency's fault um, because it, they haven't kept the union. They've allowed the media to distort how that people feel about each other as far as the, those jobs in the community. So when people can come back together, that's when we start um, being able to, to, to break uh, the little niches that we can within our community. So start in your community. Don't worry about the cartels as a whole because you're not going to go to the border and do anything anyway. 
So stop, you know, stop with these grandiose ideas that you're going to mount up with four of your buddies and go to the border and stop the cartel. Uh, that's just not how it works. Work, work within your community, help the guys in your community that are trying to do a good thing. And then hopefully that spreads. And that's just kind of like control the environment that you live in more than anything. Yeah. I think that's super important. That's good advice. If you weren't running Philcraft today, what would you be doing? Oh, that's oh a, man, that's a good one, dude. There's so many options. Male stripper. <laughs> um, I think if I wasn't running Philcraft, I'd definitely probably work for the government. Um, I'd work for uh, more than likely the uh, some agency in intelligence, more than likely, and I'd probably do paramilitary operations stuff overseas. But be honest, you'd still own Fieldcraft. We'd run it. I just and then side you'd come hustle back. it. Yeah, yep. I just side hustle it. Fuck yeah. Um, but yeah, it's super interested in that and get that kind of work. Uh, TBI knowledge and ways to make everyday life TBI easier. I think we could both chime into this. But you know, for me, TBI is it's hard to gauge uh, how much it's impacting my life because it's kind of something, uh, one, I know I have it, but I don't know how it affects certain elements of my life versus fatigue or, you know, everything's interconnected, right? So I don't know if it's a shitty night of sleep or if it's TBI, but some things that I do as a staple is one, I have a notepad and I have to write everything down. uh, And that's helped me out a lot. Two, the less carbohydrates that I have in my diet, the better I could think cognitively. And I know oh, you had experience. I was about that. to say, I was I was thinking as soon as you said that, man, keto. Yeah. I'm not telling people to be keto like long term, mm-hmm. but do keto on like a two month cycle and let your body reset to just burning fat and utilizing fat inside of your because your brain is all fat, right? It's like mm-hmm. this fat compound, and that's where everything kind of just helps lubricate. Uh, so for TBI stuff, like a good solid exercise routine that's that's almost like rhythmic so like light jogs um anything that's circuit based that's easy so you don't really have to think you just move and then uh because the activity levels help blood flow and cleanse and keeps things clean inside your brain and body and then that keto um not even keto man just a higher fat and protein diet uh, just so that it helps cleanse uh, your insides and cleaning the insides then uh, makes you better uh, cognitively and it, it just uh, all around, man. Like I feel better when I do those cycles. Yeah. I'm the same way. I, I do feel, feel better on, on that. And I, also I think with, uh, uh, TBI, like getting good sleep is important and then activating your mind. I mean, for example, I read, um, uh, a lot, but I, I don't read as much as I used to cause I used to be a fast reader. Now, because of the attention span I have now, which is very shortened because of what I do for a living and also just prop maybe associated with TBI, I read slower, but I read more deliberately. So if I read, I'm sitting down, I'm in a quiet space, and then I read word by word, and I try not to get distracted. So it's it's it feels like I'm on crutches reading, but it, honestly, it helps me especially when it comes to developing new ideas and being innovative, but also keeping my brain working and all lubed up and stuff. <laughs> um, let's talk about this. Best ways to survive an electromagnetic magnetic pulse attack or an EMP attack. Uh, my answer on that one's going to be, one, you just, the infrastructure, right? So if, you, if we get hit with an EMP, it's going to disable everything with circuitry attached to it, which is most things in our lives. So anything that has microprocessors, electronic microprocessors, it's going to be disabled. 
So get back to basics on that. So I have a generator, for example, last night, my house, the electricity went out in my neighborhood for a couple hours because lightning struck one of the transformers. Well, I have a backup generator that runs off natural gas. And so, and, and it can run off of uh, normal gas if I needed it to. So having those things in place to be able to provide, um, you know, some form of power to a grid that's lost is important. And then understanding that anything that you have um, in systems that has microprocessors is going to be disabled and you need a backup in order to, you know, sort through that situation. Like, I mean, even fridges now. There's LG fridges that run off of microprocessors that if uh, EMP attacked, you'd be shit out of luck. Unless you had the ability to get ice somewhere, then you could never keep anything cool. And if you didn't live in a cool environment, then you better get used to uh, canning and jarring because that's the only way you could preserve food long term. So, yeah, there's a whole bunch of considerations. What do you think, George? He's always here. I know. He's always in our memories and right. our hearts. He is. He's in my heart. <laughs> he's now away, hopefully getting Chick-fil-A. Oh, that'd be cool. That'd be delicious. Uh, so on this one, it's it's just what you said, right? Having that initial plan and then understanding that those resources are, are, are limited. So as soon as something happens where you are now tapping into your um, your first area of, of, uh, of resources is that's the planning phase if you didn't already plan. Like mm-hmm. you need to use those resources to plan something out, not to just be comfortable for a couple of hours and then you run out of shit. That should be the, the time where you're getting all your gear together, you're moving around, you're, you're deciding where you're going, if you're going to stay or if you're going to go. Uh, so those plans, use, just be mindful to use the resources that you have at that time for the long game. Um, if you're not already thinking of the long game, cause people get lost in that they have their short game plan and then that's the end of that. Yeah. 100%. That's great advice. Um, sorry, I have to go back to this. I'm such a bad, are you scrolling through good ones and bad ones? I am. I am. <laughs> so for everyday carry knives, what besides the kernel blade, which let me just tell you what I, what I can about kernel blades. They are currently out of business, but they will be back in business. Uh, I can't tell you any more details. <laughs> that was so vague. Oh, was, uh, yeah. But anyways, I, I love kernel, kernel blades, uh, blades, but um, currently that's an, an option for most people now, unless you could find them used. Uh, but if you had to choose an e- if I had to choose an EDC knife, look, I, as long as it has a serrated edge, so it has a, a standard edge with a serrated portion of the blade being serrated, because I want you to be able to cut through cordage, nylon, seat belts, etc. Um, but also have I like the Tonto style, which that Tonto can't on the end of the blade uh, for serrations, um, or, or like the zero tolerance knife, which is a good knife has that big, wide, thick blade. I like that as well because I want good purchase grip and I want the ability to fight with it. But more importantly than fighting, I think, is using it as a, a utility knife. Yeah. So two two ways to see it, right? There's the everyday life, which it doesn't involve knife fighting. EDL. <laughs> yeah. It, here's the thing. Yeah, everybody wants to live this cool guy shit, and I, I, I'm not making fun of it. It's it's important to train. Um, but there's two two ways to see the equipment, right? And for the most part, you're going to be opening boxes, mail, random stuff you cut, and it's just going to be in your pocket. So uh, for everyday life stuff, I like folders because you can put it away. It's small. You can use it on whatever. Um, 
Now, if I'm going on like a serious hike or I know I'm going somewhere that requires utility, then uh, I have a really cool fixed blade from Emerson that has both the, ta- well, I mean, it has all the things you described, which is funny. I was like chuckling while you were saying that. It's got the Tonto tip, it's got serrations, and then it's got the regular blade. Um, and it's thick and durable, so you can chop small trees down. You can um, cut through just about anything um, with the serrated parts of it, and it's thick and stable. Um, you can like plant it into a That's tree. What she said. <laughs> you can plant it into a tree and use it as a stepper. Like I've used that to reach higher parts of branches that are easier to like break down. Ooh, that's a good. Yeah, thing. that's cool. So uh, having a good thick, hardy blade for the utility of um, being in the outdoors. Uh, now, if you wanted to talk about like self defense and fighting, uh, just think about having a double edged blade. Um, that way you, it can Ooh, work point. over the top yeah. and then underneath. Um, that's more true self-defense. than uh, So it's more like a dagger. I think daggers are considered double-sided blades. Um, so go that route. Fixed blade, um, four to five inches, uh, blade length, and then a good grip, sharp on both ends. That's a true self-defense blade because you can operate it forward and backwards. Oh, good point, good point. Did you get addicted to adrenaline dumps when you were abroad? Did you miss it? Oh, so this is one of the things that I've talked about before on a podcast, but is a big misconception and probably stereotype with at least, at least special operations and how we operate. Like one, dude, I can't even, I probably, the amount of times that I've felt adrenaline is so rare in my military career, even in training and combat operations. I'm talking to the point of like, no filling, no adrenaline, nothing, which in, in some instances is dangerous, yeah. especially when it's offensive in nature, like a reactive, um, natural, you know, fight or flight, um, you know, adrenaline dump is good for you because, you know, when you're reactive and you're fighting for uh, oxygen, when you're fighting for all these things that you don't have otherwise, uh, it's hard to replicate that. And so that surge is meant to help you in survival, open your eyes, uh, feed you oxygen, and even protect your, your internal organs. But when you train, for the exception of the first times that you do it, for example, free fall, you do it for the first times that you have a lot of adrenaline, and that happens. But that adrenaline soon, soon wears off, and there's another state that you get into called the flow state, which is a... It's the, probably the far right spectrum from the far left spectrum of adrenaline, whereby you are doing things just so natural, um, so in, in flow with the physical environment that you're operating in, where there's no adrenaline, where it's just a, a second and third order effect of yourself. It's like you're literally, it's just like an out-of-body experience where you're doing all these things, and it feels like you're watching a GoPro footage on a you know, on an HD TV. And so there's not a lot of uh, adrenaline dumps that are created. I mean, me and Kevin talked on a podcast recently about some of our trips in war and gunfights, sustained gunfights, and not really being hyped up. I mean, I could probably name about five times in my military career in combat where I've been pinned down, I've almost been shot, I got blown up, and where I've just been in these instances where like, oh, this is scary. But even then, I don't know if it was adrenaline that was working. You know, maybe it was just uh, the reality of the situation I was in. But there's not a lot of that that you get. And and I know you've experienced this one 
and fighting, but you you know, in skydiving and the military and everything that you've been through, what what is it about people and their assumptions that it's like we're adrenaline junkies, right? Yeah, there's adrenaline involved in the beginning, and I think it more or less comes from new stuff. So after a while, um, not that it becomes routine, but you've adapted. Mm. So you understand it now. So it's no longer the rush of adrenaline. It's how do I make it better? Um, So that's where I think athletes like like us are different than the dudes just seeking the adrenaline uh, dumps, uh, just to have the adrenaline dump. Uh, I didn't want adrenaline dumps anymore. So when I started skydiving a lot more, uh, I did a ton of jumps. I was doing almost 10 jumps a day for like four months. And it was not because I wanted adrenaline dumps, but because I wanted to get better at doing something that was intense. Uh, I mean, you're essentially jumping out of a plane, which is suicidal, and then saving your own life at the very end, Yeah, which was cool. Um, so oh, that's, that's crazy. Put it in that way. Yeah. <laughs> you're you like... Know, I'm going to kill myself by throwing myself outside the plane. Right and you're before. like, psych. <laughs> yep. And then you're like, psych, boom. And then now you're flying back down to earth on a cool canopy. And uh, so there's this idea that, yeah, there's, there's chasing of adrenaline. And uh, I think if you can see things, if you're, if you're looking at things with the proper perspective, it's less of an adrenaline junkie, adrenaline dump thing. And it's more of a utilizing to be better at something that can cause adrenaline dumps. Hmm. I've never heard it put that way. I gotta take an adrenaline dump right now. Big <laughs> old tell. adrenaline dump. Um, let's see. Ways you found to cope with PTSD. Oh, well. So my situation is a little different as as I don't have any regret at war. You know, of all my combat rotations and you know the bad guys that I've killed in combat and good guys I've seen killed in combat. Like I don't have a lot of regret because I know the guys that were with me that got killed. That's what they wanted to do. And I would expect that my peers would say the same about me if I was killed in combat. And so I don't even have instances in my life where I've looked back at combat and go, you know, why wasn't it me? You know, survivor's guilt is a part of PTSD that affects many people. And I'm not saying I'm immune to it. I'm just saying it hasn't really affected me that way. What I do have problems with is walking away from that uh, job, that duty, because, you know, I still, I just had a, a guy that I knew, um, Ryan Sartori, he's a Sergeant Major in 10 Special Forces Group. Uh, we actually uh, raised $3,000 for his family recently. And when I do things like raise that money, you know, it's not about the money. It's about, you know, in that situation, in that time of loss, whatever we could do, whether it's paying for meals, you know, paying for babysitting, paying for taking care of the dog, whatever it may be that it can give some level of comfort to the family without asking for anything. And that's like our little, for me, it's that, that little thing that I could do to be involved, to help in some capacity. And so the guilt for me comes from, hey, what if I was there? If I was there and I could have fought that bad guy or those guys are deploying and I feel like maybe I should be on that deployment because I still have the fight in me. You know, that kind of guilt, which I don't even know how to express. I don't even know the name of that kind of guilt, which is guilt of not maybe of missing out or not being there. Cause I got a dream two nights ago that kind of had an impact on me. I think I might've wrote about it on a post or something where I, I woke up and I was completely downrange with the guys. I was packing out, I was doing all this stuff. And then it occurred me in the dream that I was in a dream and that the reality is when I woke up, I wouldn't be in that life. And so I missed it, but I realized 
in this, you know, dream of introspect that I potentially would wake up and I would not have the experience like I was having it then. And then I was trying to rationalize some way to figure out how to go back in. Like, you know, you're this old, you know, you're this senior of a guy, but you can go back in and do some good, um, even assessed pay. I was like, well, the pay is not good, but you could justify it by doing this and this. And then woke up and like, whoa, I'm in reality now and I'm not going to war. And I don't have, uh, you know, those guys around me anymore. That That is a part of my life that I've been coping with and dealing with uh, almost daily. And the reality is there's some things that you're not going to be able to cope with. I think the best therapy that I've I've seen is talking about it. So many people don't want to talk about PTSD. They don't want to talk about problems or issues in life in general. PTSD is not solely related to the military. In fact, I think civilians suffer more trauma than a lot of people want to acknowledge. I mean, whether it's losing loved ones or just life in general, being a civilian is tough. And so people go through trauma. People go through significant issues. And I think uh, one way to deal with these kind of symptoms is talk about it, communicate about it, Uh, have a network of friends and family and your support network that you could reach out to. The more you hold it in, the more you suppress it, the more it becomes an issue. At least that's my my take on it. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Thoughts of having a family protection dog as part of travel EDC. What do you think? Coastline canine asked that. Mm. (laughs) So I feel like that's like a a plug. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like a plug. Uh, Dogs are cool. Uh, They shed a lot. Yeah, they do shed a lot. If you're interested in, uh, if you want to have a dog that sheds a lot, then you can borrow Pearl. Yeah. Um, Pearl, I let her out this morning and she spent one minute out and managed to cover herself in mud from head to toe. Mm. And I had to take a shower with her this morning. Yep. And the downfalls definitely. So dogs for EDC, it's just another thing to have to worry about. Um, let's say your dog bites a dude and then, uh, now you can't really do much as far as like, you know, let's say you want to shoot the guy, right? Cause everybody wants to shoot people. I know uh, you can't shoot at the dude. On IG, got, everybody's doing it. I know everybody's like sub second burning dogs. down I'm fucking like, targets. Oh my God. Dude, the worst thing too is when I see them like fake shoot something and then they like track the target down and up. Remember we talked oh about that? Oh my gosh, man. <laughs> oh man. Uh, all right, we digress. Um, so yeah, uh, I think if, if I was going to have an EDC dog, I'd have a Chihuahua, uh, a hairless one. Cause mm. I don't like hair. <laughs> Um. Yeah, and he'd be my roadie. He'd be with me everywhere. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if like a dog for eat. Yeah, I think that's spot on. What you said is people don't understand the liability in things, yeah. right? You, that MP5 SD is super cool, but if you give an MP5 SD and you're rolling around with it, it's like what capacity are you holding carrying that in? You can't EDC it. You can't. I mean, you're gonna put it in a, a pack. Like realistically, what are you gonna do? And so, a lot of things are great, great ideas. I think for home defense. I mean, Pearl for me and Murphy, they're they're like you know they're alarms. They're, yeah. they're early warning devices for me um, to take it to the next level. But the, I'm using it in a static capacity. I'm not traveling with them by my side if something goes wrong. You know, I have I've, I have had Pearl with me on the road camping and doing all kinds of stuff, and she is good for that. I mean, I've had her up in my tent on my rooftop tent on my rig. And if she hears anything crazy, she's alerting to it. If we're out in the in nature, um, she's she's actually hit on a bear before. Like she knew a bear was Damn. there. 
uh, in South Lake Tahoe and winded up digressing around a bear because of her. So I think they have their place, but when it comes to EDC and like protecting yourself from evil men, maybe not so much because again, like, like uh, you said, if it's mistaken identity and a dog bites somebody, you're probably going to lose that dog. It's yeah. probably going to be put down. And the level of training that you need to train a dog to, to attack and not attack, uh, that's another thing. Like, can you afford that, or is a sixty dollars pocket knife cheaper? Yeah, one hundred percent. And then you have to be aware of the environment. And like, overly trained dogs, some are 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 hard to have around the public, and they're constantly like in this defense mode. And if there's a dude who's just like a tough looking dude, or you know, just has this posture about him or demeanor, the dog's gonna pick up on that. And then now you're like worried about this dude, and really the dude could just be some random guy that's just kind of an ass, you know? Yeah, 100%. So. You see that video that uh, Mason posted on that dog attacking the cops is a pit bull. Mm-hmm. So they had the dude at gunpoint. They said, hey, give us your hands or show us your hands. And then one of the dudes, I think, hit him with a stun gun, and he dropped the leash, and the pit bull came running at him. And the female cop shot the dog uh, a few times, killed the dog, but then shot like six or seven rounds that she missed into oh, the neighborhood. Of course. Um, and so that's, that's exactly what I mean. It's like, you know, have a dog in that capacity, but even from, from the law enforcement perspective, I've seen, there's this horrible video where these law enforcement officers roll up this car. It's a family full of people, uh, or a car full of people that are from a, from the same family. And the car was reported in a recent armed robbery. So they thought these people were involved. So they call the people out of the car and put them on their knees and make them like basically back up on their knees. And their family dog, which is like a, a small little, I mean, it's a lap dog. He's white and he's a little poodle lap dog, jumps out of the car and he doesn't know what's going on. They're next to a freeway. He starts running around in circles and one of the cops shoots the dog and yeah. kills the dog. Fine. And then the woman's crying. They're freaked. The guy is freaking out because he's pulled off on the side of the road and he doesn't know what's going on. They're at gunpoint. Come to find out, completely wrong people. Yeah. A family of people literally going out for a family outing and got mistaken in in the identity. The cops escalated improperly, shot the dog. The dog wasn't even attacking. All this is on camera. The dog wasn't even attacking the police officer, and they shot the dog and killed the dog just because. And it was just big. Dude, it's fucking horrible. It's a shitty video. Well, there was was one recently, too, where... uh a cop shot a chihuahua um, because it charged at him. And they had come to talk to the owner about a gun being displayed, but the gun wasn't in public anymore. I guess he had it on him and somebody saw it, so it was like brandishing almost. Yeah. But the dude's chihuahua charged the cop as he came through the gate, and he shot the chihuahua. Are you serious? The dog's alive, which is nice. Um, Oh, my God. uh, So that brings me to this. I was, And and that's cool that you mentioned that, that mistaken identity in the vehicle, right? Um, And... You know this more than anyone, especially from the SF world, is yes, you were SF. Yes, there are other SF dudes, but not all of them were in, like, the same capacities, right? So everybody had different roles, did different things, had different experiences, and it applies to law enforcement as well. But I had a conversation with an SF dude, and we were talking about law enforcement stuff. So very similar to that. You get a call. This car matches the description. You don't know if it is or isn't. Um, And let's say it's that. It's an armed robbery, right? Uh, and I was like, well, how would you handle that? 
if you were a cop. And he's like, well, I would roll up with my fucking AR pointed at them, yeah. ready to go, um, and then I can, I can scale it back from there. I'm like, okay, so you're telling me that you're going to come out of your car with an M4, AR, whatever, um, and walk aggressively towards them, pointing this thing at the family. You yeah. don't know who's in the car, right? Um, especially from behind. And then you're going to get there, or you're going to demand that they get out at rifle point, right? Like, yeah. It's not even gunpoint anymore. Like, I consider guns pistols, and then rifles are rifles, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, and then get everybody down, and then get everybody searched while you have your rifle on them um, in this aggressive tone, and then you can scale it back. Yeah, or do you handle it? with the idea that you're going up to the car, you're being aware, you're being conscious, and then you're making decisions as they happen, um, treating it like a normal stop versus a high-risk stop that you don't know is high-risk yet. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, because you're telegraphing. You already know it's high-risk. So if it was a high-risk stop, then you've already given away everything. Yeah. Yeah. Versus, hey, just play it cool, and then you roll up there, and then they're playing it cool because they don't know, and then you could get the – the second piece of evidence, which, which outside the vehicle description is maybe a physical description of the guy. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, now you could take it maybe to the next level. Yeah. And you can be smart. And here's the thing. Dudes want credit for things. And this is where guys get hemmed up in things. And they get, not only do they have, they, they create situations that escalate. And, and it's usually because they want to be the dude that gets the credit. I mean, dude, you're going to get credit anyway. They want okay? to win. They're like, I did this. So let's say this was a high-risk stop, right? Mm -hmm. I go up to the car. I see it. He matches the description of the guy. Instead of being like, oh, shit, get all the car. It's you. And you start freaking out like you see in these videos. Let him go, right? Not saying let him go for good. Yeah. But, you know, get back to your car. You release him. You just drive behind him, casually cruise, call it up. Hey, this is the dude. It looks like him. I need two more cops to meet me here. I'm going over there. You coordinate this event where it's safer. You have the added firepower. You have the added um, eyes on the ground. You have more cars to help pin this thing in. The dude is like, whatever, I'm just driving off. Instead of like, I'm going to hold you here. Now you're sitting in your car calling for backup. The guy's like, what's going on? He's getting tense, and then he's going to fight from there. Yeah. Um, there are better strategies, but dudes don't utilize those things because they think, well, have them stop now. This is how it's going to go. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying get into car pursuits or all this other shit because you can stop dudes at stoplights. You can you can create barricades at stoplights. Yeah. Right. So like, let's say, all right, we're planning it. He's going straight. Cool. At this next light, just have a dude roll up in front of him and just mm -hmm. pin the car. Can, the cars can come in pin. You can do a quad pin. You can do whatever. You can do a lot of things that agencies aren't allowing. Um, but then they're allowing dudes to get fucked up. They'd rather their car be okay. I know. <laughs> then you get your ass 100%. And uh, uh, I'll trade equipment any day over a fellow officer. Um, so to me, equipment didn't mean shit. I would chase things. I'd drive down fucked up roads and kill the suspension. But, hey, man, it's it, equipment is replaceable. People aren't. Yeah, and that's the problem. It's it's like institution to institution, right? It's whatever their priorities are. And, oh, man, so while, while we're on that, I was thinking about it last night as I was driving it to, to grab a snack after training. Um the issues, and I'm putting it on the officers themselves, not the agencies. If you're a cop and you're not training, it's not your agency's fault. It's your fault. Um, I can look back and see how much money I spent and vacation days that I burned instead of going on vacation. I would go to training courses. I'd go to five-day training events, and that's harsh. Oh, five yeah. days, <laughs> you oh, know yeah. what I mean? So you're not only taking five days from work, which is being lost instead of being on spring break. You're out training. You're spending your own money buying your own ammo. Um, you can do that. So it's not like, it's not this excuse, well, my agency doesn't provide training in this, or my agency doesn't provide this equipment. I'm like, it, it, to me, it's it's your responsibility. 
and let in a profession where you carry a gun for a living to be in shape, be able to shoot, be able to fight and be able to do medical, um, even at the base level. So yeah, it's, it's, it's on you guys. It's not your agency's problem. I a hundred percent agree on that. You heard it. And I, I agree. That's it's like on you guys as individuals and you will see that it, all the people we know, it's, it's individually driven, right? Yep. If, if institutions don't push it, that that's not an excuse to just say you're not prepared. And especially if you do it for a living, like I want to imagine that if you live, if, if you, you know, potentially are going to be in a gunfight mm-hmm. at the end of your work shift or the beginning of your work shift based on your career path, then you'd probably take that serious, you know? Yeah. And I, I'm not, I'm not trying to poke fun, but if you spent $500 on a, little Spartan helmet with a thin blue line, you could have spent that shit on training. Yeah. That tattoo's not going to save your ass, and you're not tough because you you have this cool little tattoo, and I see that everywhere, and I'm just like, bro, get some training. There's like 10 dudes right now. They yeah. just went, looked at their arms. They're just mad at me like, right oh, now. Shit. And I'm not mad at you. It's a cool tattoo, but think about what you could have spent that money on. 100%. <laughs> um, how do you help cultivate a survival mindset in your family and friends? Uh, you beat them into submission and force them to be prepared. Dude, you just have fun with it. Create yeah, create exercises that are fun. Like, that's the key. Like we're going to grill today, but let's pretend that, so instead of buying meat that's already pre-cut, buy just a slab of it and then teach them how to butcher meat. So it simulates it on a clean scale without having to like quarter the animal and do all the skinning. Uh, you have this block of meat and you allow the kids or, or your wife or anybody who's with you um, to learn to cut meat so that you can put it quickly on a grill or quickly on a piece of fire or coal and cook on the coals. Like make that an experiment where let's try it. Let's cook everything on a coal where you're not even like putting it on a grill anymore, but you're allowing them to cut the meat and work certain things. And then that'll lead to, oh, well, let's learn more about this or more about that. And yeah. I think those cool little, little ways to do it. That's why we always talked about this, like our go bag and our survival kits instead of using it as a E or emergency in your pace plan at the worst case scenario, use it as an element for your family to go, Hey, this weekend guys, we're going camping, but we're only going to live out of our backpacks. Yeah. And you know, your, your survival kits, a, a mainstay in that backpack. So to make a fire, to procure water, you do that as a family. Mm-hmm. Like one, it's fun, but two, it's, it's teaching you with a kit that you have. Uh, and, and it's truly your capability, right? It's, it's your, between your kit your, or your equipment. Kevin did a post about this this morning, which is one part of it. And then your capability, like your capability is based off of your skill sets and your, your capability with the equipment that you have. And, and then, Hey, what happens when you don't have everything perfectly lined out yeah. and, Doing those things as a family, I think, are super important. That's how you make it interesting, man. It has to be fun, right? Yeah, you just make fun little exercises and give people tasks. Mm. We should do like a, a, a task thing with uh, Phil Craft. We should like show to w- come to work with nothing, and then we'll just go out in the wood line and live for 48 hours. <laughs> George would only last an hour. Oh, man. He'd bring b- bags of Chick-fil-A. Yeah, he would. And would still his chow. Um Thoughts on how to keep and stay prepared as a road warrior consultant. Uh, so if, you know, if I'm assuming this guy is on the road and um, he is consulting on the road. So there's challenges, right? And there's a couple of view, viewpoints with this because I, I've talked to a couple of people about this. Like uh, Johnny Primo from Courses of Action, I've talked to him about this. He travels everywhere he goes and he always checks a gun. And then un- when he gets his bag, he locks and loads his gun and sticks it in his EDC, uh, which is one technique. 
international travel, like you're obviously not going to go to certain countries with specific types of weapons. Yeah. So you might have to go there and then listen to the laws that are exclusive to that country yeah. and then fall fall in. How, what are some ways or some tactics that you use to, to deal with travel and then carrying? So... I mean, stateside, it's it's easy to just drive, man. Um, I know. That's I try to do that as much as possible. I, I right? enjoy driving because, yeah, you can bring what you need with you. And you don't have to rely on securities and checkpoints and all this other stuff. You got your bug out vehicle, too. That's important, right? Yeah. So, yeah, and it's with you. You know what I mean? It's already there. So you can live off of it, live in it, um, and do that. Uh, but if you do have to fly, uh, man, it, there's two ways to do it. There's either you, you, you ship your equipment. Um, from FFL to FFL, and then you just pick it up when you're there, and you don't have to deal with airport nonsense. Like, I don't like checking bags at airports. Uh, so for me, I, I never check a bag. Um, so I don't either. That's a rule that I've established. Yeah, just Because yeah. you can carry a backpack and then a, ch- a bag that you put in the overhead. So literally, yep. between those two, that's plenty. That's for, enough. Yeah. That's enough. So then, like, let's say you and I were going to, to travel with, with, with our guns. Then it's like, I'm really just checking guns. Because I can carry the rest of the stuff with me. Plus, I don't really, well, you can mix the two. I remember I had this, uh, I had a small suitcase, um, and I had a bike cable lock wrapped around a, one of those cases. What's the the Pelican cases? Pelican cases, yeah. yeah. And I had my gun in that, and that was closed and locked with the, you know, required locks, but then it was bike chained to the, um, the suitcase. So it was like a way to to do two things at once, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of having them separately, because they couldn't be sep- they couldn't be together if they weren't locked together. Yeah. So it's not like I could put the gun case in the suitcase unless they were linked like that. So that's one way I, I got around it. Um, but no, I think if you what you can do is if if this is like an instructor related question, uh, um, try to use local equipment or see if somebody has something you can you can borrow or you know the worst case scenario. And it's not even a worst case scenario. It's it's more of a being practical with what you have available. Is demo what you're asking your students to do with one of the class guns. So one of the students can have a gun. So in theory, you can go to a class without bringing your own shit and demo off of their stuff and just you know you know front them a couple bucks for the ammo or whatever the case. Um, as long as you're demoing, so they have that physical explanation. Um, that's how I would solve that problem. Well, I like that idea because, you know, we talk about in survival, your social network is what's going to save your ass long term. In short term, yeah, you could bounce and roll. But if you want to sustain life, you have to have that network of people that that you're surrounded by. Yeah. Um, or that could facilitate your movement um, out of a bad situation. So I know where we go, there's always somebody we can call and be like, hey, man, can I borrow a gun? Yeah. Or, hey, man, can I... Um, you know, I'm in, in town for a week. You mind if I get your EDC or get an uh, alternate EDC? I mean, I have, and these aren't even super, super close friends, but yeah. they we mutually support each other that way. Right. If sure. anybody flew into here, I mean, shit, it could be anybody. I mean, if you, if you showed up at my place and I knew who you were and knew you weren't a, a shithead, I'm yeah. probably going to give you a gun to take right. care of yourself because I, I, I'm really passionate about... Um, kind of like that support network. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have people just show up and like, hey, man, what's going on? And like, hey, you want to come to the house for dinner? You yeah. Know, it's, that, I think that's that's the way to roll. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite dry fire drills? Do you got any f- favorite ones? I don't like dry fire, man. I think it's dumb. Yeah, dry fire has a time and place. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> 
Dry fire is interesting. I, I like using cert pistols for dry fire because they just that's smart. To yeah, me. Uh, but but using your regular pistol, I think it almost builds more. Because I did it for years because I heard that it was really good yeah. and it would ingrain bad habits into me, like chambering after every single time I shot one round. Yeah, I would even today I have to break myself off because I'll I'll demo where I shoot one round and then I'll come back and I'll want to change or I want to cycle the slide. And like, what am I doing? Like, right. oh, that's just muscle memory. Like, yeah. what am I doing, man? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, dry fire is cool. I, if you're going to dry fire anything, work a, just work clearing garments. Work getting the gun out quickly. Um, but don't do it from a static position, man. I'm so tired of seeing static stuff. And now everything's being developed around this static shit at the range. Um, move around. Try, like, drawing your gun as you're opening a door or draw your gun as you're taking a knee. Like, all these things that are more realistic, draw your gun, present it as you're sitting in your car. Um, something that's more practical and more real. Uh, this flat-range shit with sub-second draws, man, dude. Um, I, I think it's losing traction, though, a little bit. I'm not seeing it as much, maybe yeah. because I've muted everybody who, who yeah. does that. Um, I started to, so what I started doing now is, like, I've gone through, like, friends lists and stuff, and I follow just people now. Like people that I like and met and have been at courses with. Instead of major um, influencers. Instead of influencers or gun pages. Like, <sighs> Well, there's so many influencers that are just doing the same shit. Yeah, everybody's and it's doing. It's annoying. Yeah. It's like, I get it. You could shoot the steel targets. My whole thing is, I used to not have a problem with this, but more so it's annoying me, is if you teach something and you haven't done it for a living, it. I, I make the analogy that it was. it would be like a consultant or somebody teaching how to how to throw a baseball and they've never played a game of baseball yeah it's like yeah i'm going to show you the a million ways to throw it really fast and impress you but they've never actually thrown a baseball in a game and you know if you're not a baseball fan you probably don't give it two shits but take that analogy in any sport it's like yeah you have to play the game or at least have been in the career field in order to be an expert especially when i see dudes kitten up like these dudes are like I'm about to do a flat range drill so then they they load their mags they fucking put on their 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 plate carrier if you haven't put on a plate carrier because your life was in danger and you don't even know what that feels like then please stop doing it yeah fucking stop just show me do the civilian stuff yeah conceal carry you're valid yeah but stop fucking putting kid on stop running around the flat range with fucking night vision on your head (laughs) During the daytime. Yeah. You know, it's cool that you say that because this actually came up in in the courses uh, because we had some uh, awesome law enforcement turnout in Cali. I saw that. It was awesome. Yeah, it was good. Uh, And I'm talking to them. Well, one, I was making fun of them, right? Because they show up in these like like, some odd $100 amount valued pants. And I'm like, who are you hiding from? Like, we're on a green range and you're wearing multi-cam so it was more of a joke and i would yeah, do it yeah, yeah. <laughs> it became like this thing where they even started making fun of each other and like it was cool like the yeah. the camo thing became like a running joke for that weekend uh so it was, it was fun to see but I, I tell them too like look i'm not in this capacity anymore i'm not actively doing these things but this is what i saw this is what i learned this is what worked and why i'm here today uh so it's cool to, to teach them those things from that point but i'm 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 I, I quickly tell them that this will help you because it helped me and it helped the people around me, but I'm no longer doing it. Like, I still remember all the cool shit. It was awesome. It was fun. It's a great memory. This is what we're doing now is we're transferring what kept us safe and, and healthy. And 
I don't run around with play carriers or multicam. Yeah, and you did. <laughs> yeah, because because it, it's I don't even th- I think I only have my class A's and that's it left. Yeah, um, and I just save that so that like a memento. But everything else is gone. I don't I don't talk about the military. I don't like run around. Just I don't know, man. You got a GY <laughs> combat hat somewhere. It's somewhere <laughs> in your closet. OEF, OIF veteran. You got um, something stuff. Something oh, I there. actually made that joke to my girl the other day. I was like, I'm gonna go buy one of those hats and just rock it. And she's like, Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't ever do that ever. Um, okay, so let's see. Let's ask. Let's do two more. Cool. Um, ideal setup for long term water purification during a bug in situation. Hmm. Uh, oh, I've never heard of it. Bug in. You heard yeah. that before? It's just staying put. Yeah, yeah that's. I like that. Um, so I, I talk about this all the time for uh, water purification, but I think so many people get wrapped around around having the water on hand. One, water only lasts so long on the shelf, depending on what it is. My idea would be have the vessels or the containers or the bags and bladders and blivets and whatever you have. To contain it, your f- bladders are key. Bladders are key, right? Because it's 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 usable, good usable uh, use of space. Because mm-hmm. you could roll them up, and then when you need them, you got them, and then they could be transported. Mm-hmm. So another thing to think about is, you know, before anything happens, more than likely, if it's a natural disaster, you're probably going to see it coming, and it doesn't initially or uh, shut down the grid to disable your water. Like you don't have to have your electricity could be out and you could still run water if you had to. And if you could run water, you have a bathtub that's depending on your size of your tub, 30, 50 gallons of water. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just made that up. I don't even know what it is. It could be 115. I think gallons. it's more than 30 it's like a hundred gallons. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you could fill up your, your bathtub, you could fill up your sinks, but be creative. What I don't recommend, I always recommend people like I have a week's worth of, water supply and that depends on the the person the weight of the person and then obviously how many you have in your household for me a gallon per person per day is a good rule of thumb so you know divide your water and ration it um wisely but have a plan to have a week to 30 day supply but the extension of that it's easy to purify water long term which means you don't have to get chlorine dioxide tablets for everything you're doing. You don't have to get fancy filters. You could use Clorox bleach. Yeah. You can find the ratio of water per gallon or per, per volume and how many ga- uh, drops of bleach you need. I use, Damn. I use bleach uh, a lot for purifying water overseas. Yeah, I remember towards the end of our deployment when we were setting up these little combat outposts, they would just leave us these giant fucking bladders of water. And then we would tap into them as needed because uh, we didn't get a lot of resources towards the end. Uh, were so, they the circle ones? or, or They were they like the, squarish. Square ones, like yeah. Like flat. Um, and we just put them out and then we just throw uh, tarps over them so they wouldn't get heated up. So yeah. they wouldn't evaporate from the inside, I guess. Uh, so if you're bugging in, that actually might be a really good option. One of those giant... Um, what were they? I've lost my train. Blivet splatters? Yeah, those bladders. You can make a false floor, bladder the bottom of that floor, throw over another piece of flooring, and then just have a giant, like, 300-gallon bladder underneath the ground because you're considering staying there, yeah. which could be one of those things that then you can siphon from there. Um, 
that's if you're considering bugging in. Uh, yeah, I, I think just don't tell anybody because uh, yeah, <laughs> there's a running inside joke. Yeah, that uh, people that know that you have stuff, yeah, yeah, you become a target. Absolutely. Let's end it there. Yeah, there's so <laughs> many people. Like, if you tell me you have an underground bunker, it's like, oh, great. You noted. You're on the map. You just made the map. I was trying to avoid you saying that out loud, but you, you just ran with it. I know. I just did. <laughs> I just I, I had to. And then I'm just going to follow Mike's lights. I don't have an underground bunker. Um, <laughs> yes. So the last one is, uh, if you could only take one big pack and leave everything else behind, what's in the bag? What's in the pack? One, let me just shamelessly plug the pack that I would use. Tier Tactical, I just got a rucksack from Tier Tactical called the SOCOM Jungle Pack. So it's the Special Operations Command rucksack of choice for jungle environments. Dang. Dude, it is the best. It's built off the Alice frame. Mm -hmm. But Jason from Tier Tactical made the actual frame out of carbon fiber. Mm. And dude, it is the lightest, most durable pack. I use it during this uh, travel channel thing, and it's amazing. Huh. I just rucked with it yesterday or the day before yesterday, I can't remember. Mine we should see if uh, if they'll sponsor like a, a three day trip on those. And we should get them. They and, will, and then we'll go do uh, like a three day. That's uh, coming soon. Just the bag. When fall comes, yeah, dude, it's game on. So let's do that. So instead of answering the question just like that, we'll we'll answer it with a physical episode. Ooh, I like that. all three of us, three bags, only what's in the bags, nothing external, nothing extra. Seventy two um, hour blowout. Seventy two hour blowout. That'd Ooh, I like that. Yeah. If George's pack <laughs> is full of Chick-fil-A, that would be so funny. Uh, he just got a bag full of chow. I'm not going to say that the drill sergeant rucks had pillows in them, but there's a reason why we can run and you're still rucking. I know. I, would, I, knew, I always knew that. They were all fluffy and stuff. I'm yeah. like, come on. Something's going on with that. Um, okay, so let's talk about the fight, man. I know it's happening soon. It's August 9th. It's only a, a, a week and some change away, Yeah, it's right? within 10 days. Uh, so August 9th at the Finley Toyota Center here in Prescott Valley. Uh, you got four hometown fighters. Uh, three are right out of our gym. So we have Kevin Barberini. He's fighting out of our gym. He's fighting for the title. We have Danny Hilton, um, co-main event. And then uh, you have me, debuting amateur, with what looks like a great opponent out of, um, I think, Payson. Uh, they're fighting out of their their gym ethos, I believe it's called. Uh, just shout out to those guys because that's who we are, right? We we mm -hmm. we we, we beat people's asses and then promo. We promo, yeah, we promo everyone because it's it's a community thing. But then we, when it's in there, it's just to show that the the ultimate effort of each individual. So yeah, we promo each other as a community, but then we showcase each other's talent individually, mm -hmm. which is kind of the way it works, right? I like that. So yeah, I'm not scared uh, uh, of giving people shout outs and, and being their fan. Just know that when the, that cage closes, it's on. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I like that. So how do you feel right now? I feel great. You know, I, I did go through bouts of like, I don't know if anxiety is a word, but like excitement and then like overthinking and overcomplicating. And it's like very human emotions. And, and, and Danny, my girl, she was always like, just chill out. It's going to happen no matter what. So it's going to happen. Uh, and, and you signed up for that. You signed up to go and be in this fight with this dude in this cage and everybody's watching. So it's kind of like it's a brand new event for me, though. I've done like public speaking and I was ordained during uh, drill sergeant school so that I can do opening ceremony and closing ceremonies when we graduated because my yeah. mom was going to be in the audience. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I'm going to give her something. So I'll be talking in front of everyone. Right. Uh, so it's again, it's one of those new ventures where you take things on because you want to experience it to, to the fullest. And I remember watching when we were deployed and even being back as a cop and I kind of got chubby when I was a cop. And uh, I was like, 
like, man, I want to do that. It looks really cool. Trained in BJJ, wrestling, all these other cool things. And then finally to put it all together and then just go do it. Like lately, like my cardio is in, in great, like I'm in great shape. My body's amazing. Like it looks like I don't even recognize it. I'm like, man, dude, I look like that. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So it's, there's been this transformation, not only in health and fitness, um, internal realizations, uh, training with the team, building that team, uh, and just coming together with a bunch of like-minded people and then having outside influences. So like Lotus Club here in Prescott, those guys helping us out. Then we have Chad Robichaud helping out, Darren Winayama helping out, um, Dan Morit, uh, he's going to be cornering with us and he's helping out. It's just, everybody's got this influence. I was just down in fight ready training with them and they've got, you know, nothing but positive thing to say, go do it, enjoy it, have fun with it. Uh, George, you on the mats, you know, holding pads. It's just, it's, it's a cool thing how it all just blended together and it's all culminating to like this one, um, bout that's three minutes per round. So nine minutes total. So we've been training for two months for nine minutes of an event. If it goes that long, right? Cause I don't, I don't want it to go that long. <laughs> I'm going to make sure that it ends somewhere in the first, uh, ideally. <laughs> um, that's just cause I don't want to, I don't want to prolong and take so much damage, you know, yeah, I'm anticipating yeah. bumps, bruises, maybe some busted lip and a black eye. Uh, we'll see. It's going to be, it's going to be cool. I've been impressed by the, the level of, uh, uh, the level of engagement that you've been training to, you know, like when I see a lot of people fight or train up for a fight they, they don't, they commit to it obviously. And, and the best fighters in the world do. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's probably a correlation between commitment and their level of commitment and victory. But, uh, You've gone a couple rounds at a hundred percent. You've you've engaged in sparring matches that were repli you know replicable to the the fight that you'll be in. How have those kind of prepared you for for the actual uh, event, the actual fight? So those are good in, in the experience as as far as like individually. How am I feeling? How am I able to take it to the red line and like hold it? or come down from it. And when we first started, uh, I would redline when you were on the mats with us, when we were doing a lot of grappling, I would redline. And it was this to the point I took it so far, like pushing my body so far to the point where I had to step outside and I was like freaking out. Cause I was like, I couldn't breathe. I felt like I was drowning. Yeah. Um, and that was like a learning point for me. Okay. That's my red line. That's where my heart rate goes. I need to stay under that. And like peak performance started to follow. Then I would run mountains. I would run up like Lasford Hill. I would run up until my heart rate was so high that I felt like I was drowning again and I couldn't catch my breath fast enough. Uh, and then I'd be like, okay, that's the peak there. Calm down. Like I would have to like calm myself down. Mm. Um, so it was cool. So then getting punched so hard that you're whiting out in training, you're like, each one of those hits is like a white out. It was a, it's a good experience because you know how much you can take, how much you don't want to take, and how soon you want things to be done. So being stronger, being faster, being more capable and willing to end that shit before it ends you. Yeah. Are you going to go into the ring shaved or a bit with a beard? I'm going to go like this, dude. Just go a burly beard. Yeah. Just grow it. Keep it's, growing. It's it. gonna be roll the bum Martinez. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah. I think uh, beards are intimidating, but uh, they're also. I remember I used to come back from deployments, and I would have a beard down range and long hair, and I would come back and I would shave, and then I would shave my head, nice. and there was like this feeling of like it was like a cleansing, right? Mm. One, I didn't get in trouble by the sergeant majors ever yeah. because I was fit, and then I was shaved, so they couldn't yeah. ding me on anything. 
But two is like this, like it's almost like this cleansing, and then I start growing it out again, and then go to war with uh, Shaggy, a right? Full set, yeah. a full, and then coming back, it was just like this rebirth, and then this uh, journey. But when you go into the ring, do you have? Because you're fighting at one ninety five, eighty five, one eighty five, yeah, which is heavy. It's for my height. Yeah, that's yeah. Everybody's like, "What are you?" There's doing? a lot of power there. Yeah, in that, in that kind. I mean, we're strong. I mean, you you you've seen us power lift. We power lift together. We power lift with other dudes. We do a lot of strength training. Uh, but one eighty five at my height is probably not a good idea. <laughs> I would yeah. do it anyway because we're, you could we're signed totally up. cut weight. To I can cut to one fifty five if yeah. I really wanted to. Um, though I do have a shit ton of muscle mass, which would be hard to kind of like keep that and and and. I don't know. After this one, maybe 170. We'll yeah. cut to 170. That'd be and then, perfect. Yeah. And then if, if if that goes well or if that's a good cut, maybe dr- do it again and get down a little lower. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what this first one does uh, and what kind of interest it sparks. I remember my first skydive then became 500 skydives or 400 yeah. skydives. So who knows? This could be like the UFC. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think I'm kind of old for that. I don't know. I'm pushing 40, so That's we'll not see. a big deal. You're no. disciplined, though. You got discipline. Yeah. Most people don't have discipline. Yeah, it's hard, though, when I see you guys slamming Chick-fil-A, and I'm like, bro. Yeah, man, we really live in that Chick-fil-A. We, did, uh, we do Chick-fil-A Wednesdays, you know? I know. And but it's we Wednesday. ate it yesterday. Oh, yeah? So Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> Chick-fil-A every day. Ch- Chick-fil-A weekdays <laughs> and weekends, except for Sunday. Um, yeah, man, I'm excited. So where can people go to tune into that fight? Is there a way to do it online, or what's so? The- I don't know if we're live. If this is going to be a live streamed event, or if it's going to have any any actual media, can we get permission to live stream it? Uh, we just we need the proper equipment more than anything. So if we can find a way to either sponsor it ourselves or or somehow have somebody do it for us, um, hmm. I'm sure we could do video that way. But if you guys aren't following the World Fighting Federation or as uh, on IG, it's WFF MMA. Uh, they're a local company out of Phoenix. They're giving me the chance to debut, and they're they're putting um, the rest of the fight guys on the card. Uh, so give them a like, give them a follow, um, and just watch what they're doing. They're trying to grow the company, so it'll be nice. Uh, it'll be August 9th, and it's at the uh, Prescott Valley Toyota, uh, the Finley Toyota Center. So come check us out. If you're going to buy tickets and you want to rep me, uh, MMA 14 online or just say my name at the at the door and then uh, we'll just get credit for ticket sales and we'll see how we we turn that into some sort of fundraising for law enforcement training yeah I like that man I, I like always tying it, that into like giving back yeah like exactly. I don't want to make anything off of anything and I know amateurs don't make any money and actually costs the corporations that are hosting the fights to pay for amateurs to fight um, but even if I can see those in ticket sales, I'll put some of my own money from training events and stuff and piece it together so that we can have, um, some sort of resource to, to give back to law enforcement. I know you, I, I, I kind of dogged you guys earlier and I was like, you guys need to train on your own, but, uh, we're trying, we're trying on our end, uh, which can lead us into the, the New Mexico thing. So, uh, for New Mexico, the 23rd, Friday, August 23rd, it's a free law enforcement course. Um, just come on, learn some cool stuff. Um, Bring your ammo, bring your equipment, and uh, it's it's the it's the start of Mike's idea to create these uh, officer survival courses. It was uh, the venue is allowing us to do it, Southwest Shooting Center. So they're they're partnering with the 
with us to give you the, that free training out to law enforcement. So if you're in that area, sign up online so we can track you guys. Um, and then we'll know how many people are coming and then it's open to spectators. They can come, you guys are going to sign a waiver. You're going to be on the range. Uh, but you can see what we're trying to do for law enforcement. And then if you wanted to stick around and do the, the course the next day, we'll have gunfighter pistol that Saturday, the 24th, and then the 25th gunfighter carbine. Uh, so, and that's where again, that's going to be in New Mexico, New Mexico. Clovis, New Mexico, Clovis, New Mexico. It's close to Texas. Uh, and, and it's close to just about everywhere in, um, in New Mexico. So, I mean, I'm coming from Arizona. So if I can drive there to, to, to teach these classes, you can drive there, um, to get to a free them. class yeah. potentially. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Take advantage of that guys. I hope you guys do take advantage of that. That's a huge, like I've ran a couple of them. I was disappointed by the one I ran because. Um, 50 people signed up and only like 15 people showed up. I was up. there with you, man. That, that was sucked. rough. Yeah. I was like, really? Yeah. And, and I just hate it because so many people signed up, but they took away. I, we turned down a lot of people who wanted yeah. to come. Not um, only that, but, but they don't showed. realize the letdown on our end because when you guys sign up, and I've seen it in Mike, and when we're talking right before we're going, and you, you, you've experienced it, you're like, dude, we have 50 people. Yeah. How do we maximize training? And now we're talking about drills, and how is it going to be this, and how can we make lines, and how can we streamline it? And then we get there, and all these dudes bow, and I'm like, what is happening? Wow. Uh, so there is planning. Though it's free for you, it's not free. Yeah. Um, it's our time, company money. Um, we're paying all these things. So it, it, it may sound like it's free for you, but don't burn us and then make us not want to do it by yeah. not showing up and putting yeah. your name on a list. Please you know? sign up and then please come. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. Let's look at the sponsors because we got sponsors and I, I, I chose purposely to do them at the end of this. But cool. uh, some of our sponsors, um, uh, you have some experience with uh, Triarch Systems. Oh, com. So Triarch Systems is T-R-I-A-R-C systems.com. I actually just reposted one of their pictures of their carbine and, their, and uh, our story. But I'm a super, uh, super fanboy of Triarch Systems because not only is their stuff super legitimate as far as like looking cool and has great utility, but we've ran the hell out of their guns and no issues, right? Yeah, I think I have uh, that new rifle that we all got. I think we, uh, I think I'm in maybe 2,000 rounds already yeah. on it. And flawless. Yeah. And I'm not saying that I don't clean my guns, but I haven't cleaned that one on purpose. Yeah. Um, for that, I want to push this gun to, to its limits and it's a great gun and I let students shoot it so they can see it when we're on the range and they yeah. have nothing but good things to say. Uh, even, even the handrail, it's like so well built that I've taken my optic and I've taken it off of the actual um, upper and I've put it onto the handrail. Somebody commented on it like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. not supposed to do that. <laughs> yeah, so. I'm like, I don't, dude, run your gear the Shut way you the do. I'll run my shit the way I want. And we run things a certain way on purpose. Everything has purpose. Like, I don't think people yeah. get that. We don't just do things for fun. Yeah. There's a reason why. And I'm checking to see how that handrail holds up with all the shooting and if the dot's moving and if I'm losing zeros. And because yeah. there's, there's more movement in the handrail than there is on the body, right? So no change in nothing. So it's, it's holding up really well. It's a firm, firm gun. It, it's, it's not heavy. Um, maybe it's not heavy because I'm just strong. So be stronger when you carry things, yeah, yeah, <laughs> build yeah. your body instead of complaining about guns that are light. Um, but it shoots really well. And I demo it and you've seen the demo where we just hold it one handed and yeah. we shoot it one handed. Like there's no recoil. The gun does all the work, stop sucking into it and doing these crazy, like barricaded in your gun. Oh man. Um, but that gun allows you to do that. It's small. It's agile. I'll probably post a video of me running a drill where I'm like moving it in all these angles and directions because 
because the gun is capable. And it's like Kevin said, you know, your equipment makes you even more capable. So if you're good and you have good equipment, fuck, you're standing out. I like that, man. And, and you guys could save actually on checkout with TriArcSystems.com by using one word, Philcraft, one word, Philcraft to save 5%. And 5% on a big build is a lot of money. Uh, and I appreciate yeah. Triarch Systems for uh, giving us that keep on code to our listeners. Nice. Also, this podcast is uh, brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee Company. And we've done a lot of things. We're actually in the middle of a project with Black Rifle Coffee Company. Evan's a, a former special operations guy that wor- has worked with me in the past. And great company that's always trying to do uh, bigger and better things. I mean, they're so involved in you know veteran advocacy and nonprofit uh, advocacy, and they're just doing great things. Uh, but most importantly for their business, I mean, Evans was a connoisseur of coffee when I knew him back in the day, and he's taken his passion and turned it into a business, and they do coffee right. I have Black Rifle coffee every single morning. I do that Black Chinook because I, I like black coffee, no sugar, no cream, just like Heavy D said, said it back in the day. Um, I, I'm a fan of just black co- uh, coffee, and they do it right. And if you guys want to use Philcraft 20, that's Philcraft 20 on checkout, you can save 20%. That's the biggest coupon code that we have via our strategic partners, 20% on checkout, which is basically what I make uh, selling Black Rifle Coffee Company uh, coffee. So you guys could save that online with any online purchase at blackriflecoffee.com. Also, this podcast is brought to you by killcliff.com. Killcliff supports the Navy SEAL Foundation, but their natural energy drink that uh, does three different versions. I know around here, uh, everybody every day, has uh, the recover version of their uh, uh, energy drinks, which has zero sugar. Uh, it has the vitamin B. And it has uh, electrolytes in it, and it's good for post workout, right? It is. It's it's the one we we drink here, and I think we're almost out. Because... We just call it the blue one. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Grammy. We got the... a resupply though. Did we? Yeah, we just got oh, it yesterday. Right cool. They're in the fridge now. Let's give a look. Uh, but yeah, the the recovery ones so far the the company favorite because it's what we use right after training. Yeah. So, yeah. And I just use them just to breathe. I, I have two or three of them a day just to stay hydrated. Um, but I like, I like Kill Cliff because it's not an energy drink that's pumped full of caffeine. It doesn't offer you anything else. They taste great. And you guys could also save, uh, I believe it's Survival 1.5 that saves you 15%. Survival 1.5 at killcliff.com. But thanks, Kill Cliff, for being a strategic partner and a friend of Philcraft Survival. So that's the end of the podcast, guys. That's all I have. You got anything? Uh, no, that was a good one. I think we covered a lot. That's an hour and a half, man. Man, that was 90 awesome. minutes. Damn. It goes by fast yeah. when you're having fun. For sure. Uh, yeah, but I appreciate you guys. And uh, you guys can tune in uh, to the Phil Cross Survival Podcast on Luminary, iTunes, and uh, SoundCloud. So if you have, you know, whether you have a, uh, uh, what is it called, an Apple or iPhone, or if you have a Android and you're running mm. a Samsung or whatever, we have uh, all that covered. Also, check out our YouTube channel. It's Philcraft Survival. And then check us out on Instagram. It's at Philcraft Survival as well. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, until next time. Stay alert. Stay alive. <laughs> that was good. That I was, like how you gave me the nod. I know. I like that. <laughs> all right.